I'm Dustin Wentz. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Lindsay DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Grandis. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Brian Azarelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 66. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... You got Josh. This is Don. And this is John. We are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of April 10th through April 23rd. Uh, not a ton of news, but we do have seven books to cover, so that portion of the podcast will be larger than the last one, which was a little bit shorter. But, you know, after one episode of only being a little over an hour, well, we can't have that happen again, can we? So, let's get right into comic news. Only a couple things to go over. The very first thing we have comes from April 11th, and DC Comics released the solicitations for July 2011. Um, as far as some of the highlights of what we can expect in July, uh, we will be seeing, well, according to the solicitations at the time on April 11th, DC Comics said that we will be having two issues of Detective Comics and two issues of Batman the Dark Knight. We will be, in fact, be having two issues of Detective Comics, but Batman the Dark Knight we'll find a little bit more about later in Batbook Delays. Um, as far as the creator changes, we start off with Batman Robin. Winnick wraps up his three-issue arc with Greg Torcini instead of Gillian March, and it looks like Pierre Perez is going to be the new ongoing artist for Batgirl since he is doing another issue, and Dustin Wynn is not solicited for the issue. Cameron Stewart will be joining Grant Morrison on Batman Incorporated, and Superman Batman gets a new team for a one-issue story arc. Uh, new trades for the month include Batman Under the Red Hood, collecting Batman number 635 through 641, 645 through 650, and annual number 25 for the very first time. And all of the Bruce Wayne Road Home one-shots get combined, and we also see more of Batman Streets of Gotham get collected. Story developments, uh, according to the statisticians, include Phantom Lady appearing in Birds of Prey, Red Robin is facing Cassandra Cain in Red Robin, and it appears that uh, Cassandra Cain will be wearing her Batgirl costume in Red Robin with a slight difference with the headpiece. Uh, and Blight will be returning in the pages of Batman Beyond. Flashpoint continues its reach into the Batman universe with its two miniseries. The first of the retroactive titles gets released with the Batman 1970s uh, issue. And also worth mentioning that Bane is set to have a new war in Gotham as depicted in the pages of Secret Six. Who knows what that means? And, as usual, all the media appearances of Batman get new issues, including Young Justice, Batman Brave and the Bold, and Batman Arkham City. So, lots of stuff going on in July. Comic-Con comes out that month, so obviously a lot of the stuff that comes out in July is going to be discussed at Comic-Con. So, what could we possibly be seeing? I think the big thing is seeing Cassandra King facing Tim Drake on the cover of Red Robin was something that... Uh, <laughs> a long time coming. <laughs> oh yes, I, I, I will say that that um, 
when I first saw that cover, I freaked the the flip out. I mean, I was like, no, not again, not this way. But I, I believe in Fabian, and I believe in uh, DC's willingness to set things right, and I believe in the goodwill of uh, uh, the human mind that they can't possibly this be this dumb to try it again for serious. So I'm actually very excited for that issue. I think that it's just going to be a case of with the way things are with red robin uh, it's probably going to be some case where they're in some tournament and it's going to be like okay we have to fight to the death and then they're going to be like aha little do they know that batman taught us this thing where we stop our hearts and we simulate death or something i'm sure that is going to be something similar to that since we're starting that assassin's tournament story arc next month so better be Alright, so that's all the solicitations for July. Obviously, right around the corner probably from the August solicitations since DC has been releasing them earlier than they have in the past, so make sure you're checking the website in the first couple weeks of May for the uh, latest solicitations for August and what we will be seeing in August. On to our next bit of news. On April 13th, Adam Beechin talked with Newsarama about his latest issue of Batman Beyond, along with the highlights of what is to come in the series. Now, we've obviously have already reviewed this issue of Batman Beyond, and this interview was a little bit late in comparison to the time that the issue came out, but uh, there were some interesting things about what's going on in the future with Batman Beyond. So I will read for Newsarama, and Don will read for Adam Beechin. Adam, you've been mixing elements of the current day DCU into your run on the new Batman Beyond ongoing. What's the thought behind the way you're using the animated characters, but within the DCU? My feeling is that a number of years have passed between what's happening now in the DCU and the time frame of Batman Beyond. So any number of developments may have happened in that gap that we as readers of the current DCU don't know about. That gives me, as a writer, a lot of freedom as far as creating storylines and proposing what might have happened to certain characters in that time. Whether or not these storylines and character directions go on to become canon remains to be seen, but it's their opinion when it wants it to be. Mostly, the gap is a license for us to really have fun with these ideas and possibilities, and come up with new cool stories for Terry to dive into. This last issue mentioned things like Grant Morrison's Batman Inc. concept and the internet from the current Red Robin run. Will we continue to see those types of things in the Batman Beyond universe? And are you working through the Bat Office to pick up on what's happening in the current continuity. Most definitely. We coordinate with editor Mike Marks and the DC editorial Batcave to make sure that what we're doing doesn't directly contradict what's happening in the Batman books. We'd like to drop references to Bat history, as Terry would consider it, into the book whenever possible and appropriate, as a way of acknowledging Bruce's prior career and as a way to give fans an extra layer of fun, so they can point to these little nuggets and say, Aha! We've seen other stories showing Damian Wayne working with Terry. Is that just another possible future, a different Earth, or is that taken into consideration in your run? Damian's pretty tricky continuity element, as far as Batman Beyond is concerned. That's not to say he won't appear at some time, but if he does, it means that a lot of discussions have taken place on an editorial level about how to do it best. And I'm not saying those discussions may not have already happened. It would be a big deal. So, I mean, the interesting thing from this interview is that, uh, you know, we may or may not be seeing Damien in the future. I do have to say I really like the, the little nuggets, as he calls them, of uh, bad history, because it 
it kind of ties to what's going on in the books so that if you are reading all these books like I am and like we are, you you, you get to read some of the stuff like the internet story, even though we didn't really find it super favorable. It's interesting to see it pop up years and years into the future. You know, I like the idea of Batman Beyond because I it'd be nice to know what happens to these characters in the future, even if it never happens because... Time moves so incredibly slow that I'll probably be dead by the time, you know, Bruce Wayne is another three years older. But, you know, that's just how everything works. So it's interesting to see the future, as I've said numerous times, and I'm looking forward to it. I really get the impression from this that um, Adam Beechin is trying to work it into continuity now. Which, uh, after all of his, you know, wavering about the subject bringing in these themes, it really seems to be um, trying to make it canon, like you said. Yeah, I think he's doing, trying to do it as, as close of a job as he can without really harming anything for future writers. I think it's a losing battle, to be quite honest. It's a, when you try and do a future story of an ongoing narrative and make it within an established canon, if that makes any sense... Like, if Grant Morrison makes Dick Grayson die, like, in two months, you know, how's he going to be running around in Batman Beyond? It's stuff like that. I mean, it's best just to leave it ambiguous at this point. I think it also uh, shows a real distinctive difference between the animated show and the, the comic book that is based from the animated show. Because the animated show, they said several times when talking about the writing process that they always tried to establish the new futuristic world and didn't rely on... Um, past stories with Batman and Bruce Wayne to tell a story, whereas this one they're showing a lot of like nuggets, as I said, in between histories, and I think that it's an, a very interesting way to distinguish between what's different between the show and, and the and the comic book. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think at some points, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is the TV show is no longer on TV, and if people want to be seeing this character continuing to see this character it means he's he's obviously going to be in a comic book as he is, but the I think the important factor is he has to have he has to be able to keep not just fans of the TV show, but he also has to keep fans of the comic books because ultimately, as much as there's people out there who are fans of the TV show, there's more fans of the comic books that would be buying the comic book. So I think pandering to them a little bit or pandering to us, I should say, is a nice thing. Alright, so the next bit we have comes on April 19th. Comic Resources posts an interview with Tony Daniel about his work on Batman and his upcoming story arc, Exploring the Two-Face. So for this interview, I will read for Comic Resources, and Josh will read for Tony Daniel. Tony, let's start off with your next arc, Pieces. What has Two-Face, Catgirl, and an unnamed villain and mobsters all getting involved? What can you tell us about that story? It's about what happens to Two-Face when he's without his coin. Someone contacts him with information that sets off a series of chain events, which will either lead to his demise or his salvation. Of course, there's a character named Batman in the book as well. I prefer keeping story elements from the public until the book comes out, but I can reveal that much. Will we be seeing more of the Riddler's Daughter? After this arc, probably not for a while. I don't intend to use her again unless I come across a specific story where I think it would suit her. She's more of an accomplice in the upcoming arc, and Batman deals primarily with the big dogs. Obviously, it's quite a ways off, but is there anything you can say or hint about your September arc? 
I can't say a whole lot, but I'm going for a more serious cinematic approach with both the art and the story, and it'll be much more serious in terms of character development and story beats. Okay, so that clearly doesn't tell us a whole lot of anything. Well, Batman's going to be in it. Surprise, everyone. <laughs> and Riddler's daughter won't be up for a while. But we will see Catgirl. Oh, joy. <laughs> Is everything we want from Batman comic book? I think it's interesting that they're going to try and do the salvation of Harvey Dent because... In the all the years of Batman stories, there's been lots of stories that have been repeated, lots of stories that we've gotten, but like that's one story element that nobody's ever really used, you know, the salvation of Harvey Dent. And I'm glad that somebody finally decided to do something with that thread. The sarcasm meter is off the scale. Yeah, I know. For 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 real. <laughs> uh, I mean the other thing is I think it's important to consider we haven't actually Obviously, I know you're sar- you're being sarcastic, but we haven't actually seen the arc, so who knows what it'll actually be. Clearly, it's not going to be the first time that we've seen this story. But... <laughs> All right, so the last bit of news we have is, again, another interview with Tony Daniel. Will he be more informative than the last interview? I'm doubting it. But uh, Newsarama did an interview with him on April 21st. He talked about his work on Dick Grayson starting in the pages of Batman, um, obviously, Daniel will be continuing to write the series next month while taking a break from the art, at least for a couple of months. So here are the highlights from the interview. I will read for Newsrama, and Joe will read for Tony Daniel. Tony, the writing on this arc seemed even more streamlined and driving than usual. Did you have a clear direction for the story as you took the book back over? Yes. I wanted to tighten the story elements in Sensei. The only subplot elements are a couple of scenes devoted to Katrina. Other than that, I kept the focus of the story very tight. Part of it is that I wanted the last arc to be only three or four issues. So working within those margins, it forces you, as a writer, to use that space economically. I'm curious about the seeds you planted during that arc. Will we see more of Riddler's Daughter? And do you intend to follow up on the future romance between Peacock and Dick Grayson? Enigma will pop up again soon, though I can't reveal more details. As for Grayson and Sash, the peacock, there is a chance, of course, based on Luki's transferred vision. That could be months or years in the future, or maybe never, though the chances of them meeting again I would hope would be strong. You've been playing with elements of the long Halloween in your run, so should we expect this female Two-Face to be something connected to that story? It's very possible, and it's also unlikely too. I don't like to give away my story beats ahead of time, but I don't take too long in revealing the character. You mentioned on your blog that there are big things happening this fall. Is there anything you can tell us about what's coming and about your future on the Batman title? I am sticking around. There are other books I'd like to tackle in the DC Universe, but right now I think I'm only midway through my journey on the book. In fact, I think soon people might guess that it's only just the beginning. Alright, so another interview. And what do we get? Uh, confirmations followed directly by denials of the exact same thing and a bunch of I don't like to talk about things ahead of time. Um, <laughs> as, I'm just going to speak frankly here. As a person who runs a website filled with news... 
if I was to interview somebody who is interviewed by a rival news agency only a couple days before, or at least the article was posted a couple days before, and I saw the article and thought to myself, wow, not only are my answer, my questions almost exactly the same, but uh, his answers are also the exact same, I would really contemplate whether or not it would be worth posting because it just becomes, your article ends up becoming redundant. Now, what I find really interesting is there was one little change. In the last interview, he stated that we will not be seeing Igmet anytime soon. And this interview, which probably was, again, because it's Newsrama, the, were emailed answers in because his questions are, the questions are specifically posed as answer this question, and then there's never, there's, there's hardly ever follow-up when it's a Newsrama interview. But with that being said, um, he specifically states Enigma will pop up again soon. So, huh? Why is it that two days worth of time, as far as news agency world goes, can change something? Because the other article came out, and when he said no more Enigma, the fans cried and they sent like letters to him. So he knew he must include her. Well, I got to sense the sarcasm again in your voice. But uh, nonetheless, uh, gotta say, I, I, I'm really, really, I'm, I'm really struggling as a person who posts the news stories on the website to find worthwhile questions with these interviews to really, you know, bring up and then end up, as we know, bring them up here on the comic podcast because a lot of these interviews, as we stated also in the last podcast, it's getting a little ridiculous how secretive everything is. It's great to keep story elements secret and not reveal things, but it's getting a little ridiculous how much they're not telling us, but how much effort they're making not to tell us anything at all. <laughs> what I mean by that is, so, what's going on later? I can't talk about it. Oh, so what's going on later? I can't talk about it. Next interview, three days later. So what's going on later? Uh, I can't talk about that right now. Or it's, a, fact, it's it obvious just keeps stuff happening. I, I, like, I like, and then the one is you're like, will Dick Grayson and Peacock uh, begin a romance soon? Dick Grayson and Peacock will begin a romance soon, though I can't say exactly when. <laughs> it's like it's talking double talk. Yeah. And, and why did both people ask about Enigma anyway? Like, is there like that big of an Enigma fan base? Not that I'm aware of. The better not be. <laughs> She hasn't really even appeared that much in the issues that he's done. I mean, Catgirl has gotten plenty of, uh, I guess, fan outcry, but I don't know that it was positive. But uh, that character, probably more people talk about. I don't know anybody who's been talking about Enigma. Hey, Batman fans, if you're a friend of Enigma, please write us in to podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net and tell us your favorite thing about Enigma. We may read your emails. Yes, we may read your email. Well, what, what do you like about Enigma? Her skin-tight costume, her acrobatics, is that so unique? I mean, what, what's the big deal? I don't know. It's almost exactly the same as everything. She's like the Riddler, but she's a girl. She's like, huh? she's like, she's like a, what's her name, Dwella Dent. For the uh, <laughs> I like how he said, um, oh yeah, I think there's quite a strong possibility that Peacock will show up again. I think that's probably only because he wants the royalties from someone else using this character. Yeah, he's he's also said that in the past. Like uh, when I remember specifically at C two E two when we asked him about Catgirl, he said, "Well, I'm not really, I don't really want to explore the character too much, but I'm definitely leaving it open for other writers out there to to you know do something with the character in the future." Make it good. 
She's going to be the great love of Dick Grayson's life. <laughs> or Damien's life. Or some, some back Ooh, character's life. Damien, Damien. That's what's going to happen. Even though she's probably like five years old. <laughs> Alright, so that's all the news. Clearly, not only is there not a lot of news coming from the interviews that we are getting, but there's obviously not a lot of news coming out in general related to the comics. Hopefully that'll change when summer hits and flashpoints takes off and we can start to f- be let into the idea of what's going on in the future since we're not hearing really a whole lot. So with that, uh, we're going to get right into our books. As I mentioned, we have seven books. So we're, right, we're going to start with Batgirl number 20. Batgirl number 20, written by Brian Q. Miller and illustrated by Ramon Box. This issue starts off with a flashback to last semester at Gotham University. Zane Swift is, um, we see him being kicked out of classes because he doesn't show up. And we see him being kicked out of his dorm room because he's a bad roommate. And we see his mother uh, cut off all his funds because he's a bad son. He's basically a bad kid all around, and he's a very lazy college student. But then he gets an invitation to the Order of the Scythe, which is where he's at in the present. Zane Swift is Slipstream, and he is the enemy that Steffi Brown, a.k.a. Batgirl, went up against back in issue 19. As he's getting his orders from the Order of the Scythe, we cut to Stephanie Brown and Proxy in the Firewall, as Proxy and Batgirl are going over their new arsenal. And it's a pretty cool new arsenal because she sees that she can combine different types of batarangs together, like electro rangs or flaming ice rangs. So she's having a ball like a kid in the candy store when they get more information about Slipstream and just trying to figure out how way to stop him. The next day, she goes to uh, Barbara Gordon's office as the assistant professor at Gotham University and asks for help. But Barbara says, come on, you know I'm dead even though I'm not. I, I can't help you all the time now. You have to rely on proxy. So they said, okay, you're right. But let me, let me think about this whole tracking thing we have with uh, Slipstream. So six hours later back in um, – uh, Stephanie Brown's lecture class. She's sitting right next to Zane, and due to his his uh, constant mumbling to himself, she starts freaking out. And he and as he leaves as a, with, a, with a cell phone call, she realizes that he must be Slipstream. So she runs out and starts chasing him into her uh, new vehicle, which she calls the Compact, and changes into Batgirl as he changes into Slipstream. She chases Slipstream through through a tunnel. And as he moves over several cop cars, we see that Oracle is actually uh, looking after Batgirl without her knowledge back down in Core Tower. The cops start firing on Batgirl because they think that she's a massive vigilante who's was trying to help them, very Spider-Man-esque. But Batgirl eventually gets out of her vehicle and starts taking on Slipstream himself. While he, while he runs right past her, she manages to get one of her new, newly compounded uh, Batarangs on him, the Electro Magna Gooberang, as she calls it. And she says that she figured out that he could only go in, sh- in straight shots without actually being able to turn in uh, mid-inertia. Basically, he couldn't really turn. He'd just only go from one place to another and then change directory when he's staying still. So the day is saved, and she's talking to Detective Nick Gage over over what, what had just happened. And he says that he actually used to be a member of the Order of, Order of, the, Order of the Scythe. He bids her good night, but before the issue ends, we see that the Order of the Scythe is saying that Mr. Swift is exactly where they want him to be, and that they're going to sick a new character onto Batgirl called Harmony, a woman with long braided hair and power gauntlets. That will be continued in Batgirl number 21, Haunted by the Greatest of Ghosts. 
Alright, so Batgirl number 20. A couple interesting things I immediately have to point out. I'm gonna just going to say this is going to be one of those episodes where I'm going to be listing off a number of different odd situations in a lot of these different books. One, I find it super convenient how the Slipstream's character's last name is Swift. I mean, seriously, really? Swift? That's... It just reminds me of the 60s TV show where we have people with names that code, you know, directly went to their uh, their alias. But, Victor uh, Freeze. I just want to say. Or Edward Nigma. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of that, so, you know. But uh, that, that's a very minor thing. One thing I, I kind of find uh, a little odd, though, is, okay, so Stephanie is not, you know, roaming the streets as Batgirl. But yet, when she's in Firewall, she's walking around without shoes on. But she's in, like, a suit that's just like the Batgirl suit. Where, but it's it's shorts, and it's like a tank top. But it's all like a one-piece suit, but it's exactly the same look as the Batgirl costume. That just seems odd to me. Why would you be relaxing in something that you go and you work in all the time? That, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, also, I don't, I don't know that I'd be walking around barefoot in a place that is like that. I, I doubt Batman walks around the back cave barefoot. Mm-hmm. Um, I do find the uh, Batarang thing uh, cool and yet some kind of s- s- a certain degree kind of stupid. It just seems like an easy way to uh, get out of a couple different fixes by combining a bunch of different things to make different batarangs that do random things, things that we have never heard of, and we see that later in the issue clearly because you know we, you know, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this series as far as what will come, what we will be seeing, and we see that with her having defeated Slipstream very easily with one of these batarang contraptions that she's created. Overall, I think the issue is enjoyable. I, 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 you know, I say these these things, and I don't say this as necessarily as a negative thing. It's just things that, as I'm reading, I notice, and I'm like, um, yeah, what, what is that? But it was enjoyable. I really am enjoying the story and the direction that it's going. One of the things that I find very interesting is the art. Clearly, Ramon Box, this might be something that he could actually be good at. And I know there's certain people on this podcast who thought his art was okay on Red Robin, and I know there's other people who thought his art was crap on Red Robin. I'm one of those people who thought it was crap. But for <laughs> some reason in this book, it works, and it doesn't seem to be bad. Now, clearly, if Tim makes an appearance, we might have some, we might have a situation. But for the most part, his art seems to, you know, he's not over-accentuating the women in the book, which a lot of artists who are drawing female characters in a book seem to do. But at the same time, you know, he he's making them, you know, part realistic and, you know, accenting only small things within the entire issue. He has like a kind of a realistic sense in some sorts. It's really hard to explain, but I mean, like you look at the cell phone, it looks exactly like a cell phone. Exactly like a cell phone. Like I could cut out the picture off the comic and hold it in my hand and it would look exactly like a cell phone. Obviously, that's not as hard to do as something like the car... Um, which, by the way, the car, I'm not a big fan of the name, the compact. It just seems, yeah. just seems kind of stupid. But maybe that'll change over time. I, I'm with Proxy there. Compact, really? At least Proxy didn't wasn't as annoying as she has been in recent issues. I think the uh, upgraded uh, firewall is going to give her something to 
do. She won't be as bored. Maybe she, that means uh, she'll focus a little bit more of her energy into her actual position instead of complaining about a thousand other things. But overall, uh, enjoyable issue. I'm going to give this three out of five batterings. I enjoyed this. Uh, Ramon Box art. I don't have significant problems with it, but it was hard to vocalize what my problem was. But I think Stephanie's body language seemed very, very, very exaggerated and overly cartoony. Uh, do any of you know what I'm talking about here? I can see where you're getting. I don't know if I agree, but I can sort of see which, where you're coming from. She's just, like, always striking an exaggerated pose, like, from when she's standing in Firewall to when she's standing over Slipstream, like, pointing at him. Like, it seems like poses and, like, the way that her body language would be in that situation, but then, like, ramped up to 11, if that makes any sense. Um, I like the thing of her in class and then getting in trouble with the teacher, you know, I was stretching, because that's one of those college things, getting in trouble in class that a lot of people can relate to, so... And I've always said about the title that that's what I like about it, that in the midst of all the bad stuff, we get Stephanie's, you know, Stephanie issues. And that includes the whole campus life. And I like that they've been playing with that. The Oracle scene was a bit cheesy. I liked uh, the combining batterings. That was actually, you know, not as cheesy as it would have sounded on paper, the way that they pulled it off. I think I'll give this uh, three and a half out of five batterings. I thought this is a really, really good comic book. Starting with the art, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a fan of Ramon Box's art, or maybe I am. I don't know. I, I, I like his art. I think it's pretty, pretty good. I thought it was really, really good here. It sort of reminds me of Todd Knox's art from Young Justice way back in the day, but I'm not saying they resemble each other. I think um, going back to what Josh is talking about with the body language, I, I do see what he means. Where Stephanie sort of like. It's almost like she's posing and everything she's doing, but I don't know. Maybe it's just the way it was written. I didn't have a problem with it, and I thought that everybody else looked good too. I thought Proxy looked good. I thought uh, Oracle looked good. I, I, I really, I really like the art. I thought the story was pretty straightforward, as most Batgirl issues usually are. I really like the setup they had at the beginning in um, the firewall with Stephanie messing around and Proxy pretty much getting help bringing her to focus. When I first saw that she was going to name the car the Compact, I facepalmed. But I like the fact that it's, it's Stephanie's idea. Not that it's, just, it's, a, it's necessarily a good idea. It's sort of like that's what she wants to call it. She's like, well, I'm calling it that. And it doesn't matter. You know, that, that's, that's, her, that's the name she wants to give her car. That's, that's cool. It, personally, I, th- I find it really cheesy. But, you know, I'm a guy and I don't own Compact. So we'll see how Stella takes to that. Overall, I thought this was a pretty solid issue. I thought I really liked how... Stephanie figured out how to beat Slipstream, and I don't know. Th- this 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 was pretty good. I mean, I didn't I didn't love it to the high heavens, but I don't think there was anything wrong with this at all. I'm gonna give this a solid four out of five batterings. Yeah, I thought overall the art was pretty good. Although I don't like the way Ramon Bark does nostrils. He kind of draws them there in separate box, and that always distracts me a bit. But um, I thought the science behind the suit was really interesting. The idea how um, Slipstream brain doesn't catch up with his with what the suit can do so he has to plan his route beforehand I thought that was good and interested by this idea of Detective Gage being a former member of the site and um, yeah Oracle still seems to be in it so I don't know what's happening there if it's just bad continuity or if it's um, just her not wanting to let go 
And I, I thought, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought the firewall, all that stuff was fun with the um, the new batterings and the being able to change the cartridges and stuff like that. And with reference to the um, the car and the compact, I, I quite like the actual car. Okay, anyway, I'll give this three out of five batterings. Alright, and over on the website, Zayas gave it three out of five batterings, so that is going to give the issue overall three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, which is Batman and Robin number 22, written by Peter Tomasi with art by Patrick Gleason. You are completely out of your mind. Story starts off kind of where we left the last issue with the White Knight taking control of a number of the different relatives of the Arkham Asylum inmates, causing them to all jump from random buildings within Gotham City. Batman and Robin are on the scene and have figured out a way to jam the device that is implanted into their ears, making them all go into a painful unconsciousness. Uh, Batman and Robin somehow figure out a way to save them, at least a good majority of them, although they don't show anybody who wasn't saved, and they head back to the Batcave to try to figure out the White Knight's next move. The next thing we see is that they are sitting at the Batcave and pop on the TV, the GCN breaking news report comes on with Arkham Asylum lighting up like it's a Christmas tree. So that's where they head off to. They arrive there only to find Commissioner Gordon and all of his men very very much blinded, and they figure out that uh, the White Knight must be inside. So inside of the building, we find out uh, that there is a liquid that is filling up inside of the cells of the Arkham inmates, and White Knight is telling them all that he has killed members of their family. On top of that, he gives his back history as far as who he is and how he came to be, kind of. Um, essentially, he was a young boy whose father was a guard at Arkham Asylum, and during a riot, he was burned by Dr. Phosphorus and was and, and died. Um, after giving his nice long spiel, Batman and Robin appear, make quick use of him. We have a short time where Batman goes after the White Knight and Damien goes after Mr. Zaz and after punching him in the face and telling him uh, this is for all the kids you put through hell a couple weeks back um, we then cut to Batman on the roof of Arkham Asylum and White Knight is saying that he has a uh, device that is going to basically light up the entire area he puts on a jetpack and is about to take off. Batman uh, shoots his cowl ears into the guy's head and then, uh, throws a batarang, causing an explosion. We then cut to Arkham Asylum, obviously a little bit into the future, and we see White Knight, who now has the jetpack wings fused to his body, and he is now, uh, you know... An inmate with next to the inmates that he was trying to kill the families of, and that is the end of the issue. All right, so Batman Robin number twenty-two. Oh boy. Uh, okay, couple different things. Not a huge fan of the art overall. 
I'm not real sure what it is. Maybe it's because the White Knight doesn't have any kind of detail except for obviously just this glowing essence about him. But there's something about the way the actual people are drawn that just is off off to me. Especially the the people who, you know, are are these relatives who are standing on top of the buildings and we see them you know, most of them are close to naked with, you know, the wings and, like, the little toga thing around their waist or whatever. There's just something very off about the people, and I don't know what it is. But a couple other things on the art. In the Batcave, we see Damien sitting next, you know, sitting next to the Batcomputer, and they show his shoes. They specifically show his boots that he wears as Robin. But for some reason, there are laces, and these laces are just flowing out. Okay, you know what, it's fine to have shoes with laces. We see professional wrestlers who have shoes with laces, and they don't seem to have laces popping out. But Batman and Robin, you would think, would have something a little bit more high-tech than, hey, you need to lace these up and tie them with bows and and, uh, crisscrosses and stuff. That just seems a little ridiculous. Um, It's like Frank Wiley's fault, isn't it? Because it didn't design that costume. I don't remember there being laces, though, like, I, I'm seeing like the bunny ears that everybody <laughs> teach a kid how to tie tie their shoes. I see the bunny ears. It's not like just laces. Laces going up the leg, that's fine. But laces like flowing out like a normal pair of shoes is just odd for somebody who, you know, is in a lot of different positions where if your shoes came untied because they're flopping all over the place, you could be in trouble. He's in the back end. Okay. We'll, we'll we'll let that one slide. Um, I did like that at the end of the story. There was uh, they actually did say the character's actual name because if this character does progress, well, not even so much that if the character does progress. I really don't care if this character is used again or not. It, it was a cool concept, but I don't know how much more you can do with this other than okay, if there was a riot or a breakout at Arkham Asylum. This guy could, you know, play into trying to, you know, get rid of somebody in Arkham Asylum. Okay, that that could be interesting. But this would be a very minor character in the long run. But what I like is that they actually gave the guy a name and said this is this character's name. Because I like things that, like, give something, some bit of a closure instead of we only know this character as White Knight and that's all we ever know him as. The very odd thing I notice is we see in a lot of different Batman books... You know, when they reference other things that are happening in other titles, the editor will specifically put in, you know, an asterisk next to the reference, and then at the bottom have a little box and say, see, you know, Red Robin, number 19 for this story. See, Detective Comics, number da-da-da-da-da with this thing. We just saw it actually in Batgirl when Oracle was talking about the crazy things going on in her life. But in this book, we had two different time references to different things with no editorial reference as... Hey, we're referring to this in this story. You would think that would be a perfect opportunity for them to promote some of the other titles, but for some reason, that didn't happen in this book. Uh, The time references I'm referring to would be the one where Damien punches Zaz in the face and says, this is for those kids. Clearly, that happened a long time ago, but it did happen in Batman Streets of Gotham. And then the other one was the big speech that Dick gives... Damien about, oh, well, a couple of weeks ago you, you, you turned your back on your mother because she asked you to turn against us and you didn't. You decided to, to do what's right for you. And they said, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, and they did the same thing. So, you know, 
you know, it's fine. I, I don't really care that they do stuff like that. If they want to try to, like, link it into continuity a little bit more, that's fine. But you would think that they would want to promote some of these other series, especially since some of them have been collected in trades, and they could promote those. But again, that's their own prerogative. No, no big deal. The one thing I did find a little bit odd is when Batman and Robin arrive at Arkham Asylum, every single Gotham police officer has their gun drawn, even though they're blind and they're waving their guns all over the place. Being trained SWAT or police, you would think that they would not be waving their guns around ready to shoot anything that moves while they're blind. On top of that, there's a very odd statement that Batman makes that I just... I had to read about three times before I really understood it. So Batman pulls up and says, Commissioner, and Commissioner Gordon says, Batman, thank God. Then we hear this, All of you, sit down where you are and don't move until backup arrives. The more you stumble around, the more panic and confusion you're going to cause. Why would the Gotham City Police Department be taking orders from Batman? Number one. Why wouldn't Commissioner Gordon be saying this? And why wouldn't he have he had said this way before Batman showed up? And on top of that, why would, who would they be causing panic and confusion for besides themselves since they're the only ones there? <sighs> this story left me very, very empty. It was cool to see Arkham Asylum. It was cool to see other inmates of Arkham Asylum and some of these other villains that we don't see that often. Because I like... That kind of stuff. But at the same time, the story ended almost very abruptly. And I think the idea of, okay, so this is exactly the same thing we saw in the last story arc of Batman and Robin with Una Nemo. Where we see a three-issue story arc about a, a new character and then that's the end of it. Who knows if this creative team is coming back. We still don't know if they're going to come back after Judd Winnick's story arc. But, I don't know, this was not very good in my opinion. And I thought, although it seemed very promising with the idea of bringing some of the relatives and giving a little bit more history with some of the other characters, it, uh, in the long run, fell flat for me. So I'm going to give this two out of five batterings. I liked uh, the art in this. It's you know, gave it a very, very chilling feel, especially how the issue closed on, uh, closes on White Knight's eyes, and they're, like, very, very glassy and spooky, and, you know, you liked, I've said this before in other reviews, you like to get that chilling feel from a Batman comic, and the ending gave me that. I love him drowning, um, all the Arkham inmates, and everyone's panicking, and Joker is just sitting there on his, you know, chair, relaxing. I mean, he's holding his breath, but he's not struggling, you know, he's totally you know, calm through all this, and I love it when White, where White Death says to him, I couldn't find your family, and then he says, oh no, I cut those ties years ago. Uh, I was a little annoyed by the whole, like, scene where everyone reminds Damien that he's a good guy. Like, why was that necessary? It's like, don't forget, Damien, you chose, you know, you chose us over your mother. Here's some exposition, and here's us reminding the readers that Damien's, you know, been a good guy. And this is, I guess, like, every time he appears, there has to be, like, one scene where somebody gives Damien a speech, you know, about, you know, how he's a good guy. So there's a quota, but it just felt very, very forced, and it, like, stopped the scene dead. And I felt like it's ground that's already been covered, and we don't need to be hearing it right now. Uh, I do like when they're like, aren't you going to help us? Uh, the Ark of Inmates and Damien's like, oh, give me a minute. Uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, Dick Grayson saying, like, did you save the animals? 
I don't know why, but that seemed like a very, very undegracent. Uh, I don't think I don't know if those were his exact words, but he said something very, very like condescending about it. Like, did you save the animals? Did you save those rats from drowning? Yeah. Which I don't know. To me, that doesn't feel like it was a Dick Grayson thing to say, and maybe I'm wrong in that. But uh, the oh, you're right. As weird as this sounds, and I hope I can like get this point across, I would have liked it if we would have seen a little bit more about uh, his about white white, white knight. knight. Yeah, about white knight's victims. Because these are the family members of, like, these Arkham... And, that's, and that was the cool thing about the other issue. Like, we learned a little bit about the victims, and would have been cool. I like how they were all falling, and... It, it also seemed like a very undegracent thing to say, to say, just save who you can. Like, and I get that he wasn't saying, let the other ones die, but I feel like he would have at least tried to save them all, or at least, like deluded himself into thinking that he could. But those are just small issues. I like the art. Uh, this was a nice end to the story, you know, aside from a few hiccups. So I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. I actually really like this issue a lot myself, starting, as you guys did, with the art. Now, I think that I agree with Dustin and that the models and basic people look really strange. They're not, they're not very proportionate, and they kind of fluctuate. They kind of look a little rubbery. Every now and then, and I'm not sure I like I like um, Patrick Gleason's basic designs, but conversely, I thought the action scenes were amazingly well done. I love the scene where Batman and Robin are like in the Batmobile, and like Batman is like, "We're going for a ride," and Robin's like, "I'm set, punch it," and then like shoot out of the Batmobile, and like you 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 really get the sense of adrenaline rushing, and then like in the next scene, we're in the Batcave, you sort of get this like this eerie sort of like not eerie, but this whole different atmosphere. I think Patrick Gleason really, really knows how to tell a, a story, and um, the action scenes were just very well done here. I, I'm not saying I don't like his art otherwise, but it comes alive when he does the action sequences. I agree. I, I, I liked as much as I liked that scene at the beginning. I do think that like, if you're Batman or even Dick, I mean, yeah, Dick Grayson, like people who are trained by Batman, I think that it would be in their line of their their mindset to to save everybody no matter what as opposed to save who we can. That seems more like like another DC hero thing to me than like a Batman character, because there's a little more to it than that, but that's neither here nor there. I don't know. I, I, re- I really enjoyed how this worked out. I think that this issue was the best out of all the, out of the uh, White Knight arc, and I thought that like it just flowed better. It seemed like a, a natural conclusion to the story, more or less. I, I marked out when, um, when Dick shot his uh, bat ears into the dude's head. I, I mean, and, I, and I know that was the setup of the Dark Knight, but I thought that was an even cooler idea. Just like because the bat ears are so long, and you you would you, I just didn't see it coming. I thought that was really cool. Um, I mean, this wasn't the best issue, but I thought it was pretty good. So I'm gonna give this another four out of five batterings. Okay, first of all, I'll just start with the art, like everyone else did. I find it really bizarre because I look at one page and just wow, that is beautiful, really amazing art. I turn the page and just wonder why Patrick Gleason is doing comics. Because it's, I find it really inconsistent. I'll be taken aback at how good something is, and then in the next panel, it will, it will look wrong. But, um, okay, well, Dustin started with, you know, going through and pointing out all the things he didn't like and the plot holes and stuff. I'm going to try and go through in the chronological order of all the things I had wrong with this issue. So first of all... It's the wrong Batmobile, isn't it? I mean, that's 
Bruce's Batmobile, which then got stolen in the Dark Knight. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. That annoyed me. And then this stupid signal disruption thing. These people obviously are mind-controlled to jump off this building. So they're standing at the edge of a building. And to snap them out of it, they think, I oh, know, let's cause them severe pain and then knock them out. If you knock someone out when they're standing at the top of the building, they're going to fall over and then fall anyway. You might as well have let them jump, and then they wouldn't get the pain of, like, having their signal disrupted. And then, when they go to save them, they fire these nets at them to bag the victims up as they fall. But what good does that do? Like, the few fortunate people who landed, like, swinging over lampposts and stuff, they don't hit the floor. But for the people who do, all that's happened is instead of hundreds of victims splattered all over Gotham's roads, you have several piles of human pulp <laughs> and shattered boat. I mean, the only advantage is it's easier to clean up. <laughs> oh, my Lord. And then we have more mischaracterized Damien. And then the White Knight goes to Arkham Asylum. To, uh, you know, he's, he wants to get rid of these families because he thinks the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. These people are criminally insane. And they can't help what they do. They're insane. They have a psychological condition. So the White Knight is now slaughtering the families of helplessly insane people. And then, also, I don't know how the White Knight fills up every cell with his white liquid because it just seems to shower from the ceiling and that, there's no explanation to that and also Mr. Zars has managed to get out of his cell with no explanation of that either and then he's in Arkham Asylum Jason Todd should be in there so if the White Knight has done his research tracking down the families of all of these people shouldn't he then trace Jason Todd back to Bruce Wayne and the rest of the Bat family and try and kill them too holy crap well done good job and, uh, yeah, and then I think the end of it was just this ridiculous explanation of the character. And he's like, so what about him? How can you explain what his features and why it looks like this? It's like, oh, no, it's an unidentifiable serum. It's permanent. And that was it. <laughs> and I think the, uh, the only saving grace for the issue, I think, for me, was the reference to the Joker's past and how it's, he killed his family ties. Um, so yeah, very disappointing arc overall, especially after all the hype. I'd give it one out of five batteries. Okay. All right, and over on the website, Melinda gave it two and a half out of five batteries. So that is going to give the issue overall two and a half out of five batteries. Let's move into our next issue, Birds of Prey number eleven. Tempting, but no. Okay, we start off with Huntress. You know. Complained in her inner monologue that, gosh darn it, they moved this exhibit from Gotham to Metropolis because they didn't want it to get robbed. But no, some stupid driver wanted to drive it through Gotham anyway, and now it's getting robbed. Well, <laughs> they're just stupid. Oracle is saying, telling her over the comm link that uh, the curator, you know, who has like a heart of gold, volunteered to be taken as a hostage, but apparently she has like a condition which requires an inhaler, so she's not found soon. She will most likely be dead, so they better find her. And so Huntress is chasing, you know, 
some of the people who were involved in the robbery and they split up and the one guy that she's chasing he's pretty resilient and all of a sudden Catman comes and like his techniques of torture are like enough that even Huntress you know who's like you know a stone cold uh word that I can't say on this podcast even Huntress is like okay okay take it down a notch but they get information from the guy Huntress and Catman argue for a bit make out then she slaps him and says, how dare you make out with me? And then she says, I didn't tell you not to make out with me, but I didn't tell you to make out with me either. So she basically gives him some mixed signals. Uh, people, for people who don't know, Huntress and Catman have kind of a you know, hot and cold history, kind of a Sam and Diane thing that's been going on for a while. So this is just the latest in that. But, you know, he's evil and Huntress is only, you know, kind of evil, kind of ambiguous. So they've never really been able to see eye to eye but they work together on this case and throughout that there's more flirting as like there's this weird panel where it looks like Huntress is like two feet tall and like Catman's like eight feet tall and she's like dressing his bullet wounds and she's like wow you're hot but that doesn't mean I'm gonna sleep with you didn't you used to be fat they track down the uh, hostage and the criminals holding her but the the curator she sees Catman's eyes and like recognizes them and she gets scared and she's like oh wait I didn't realize you were one of the good guys but Huntress is like aha she recognized your eyes that means that you captured her and you did this to get into my pants and then Catman's like okay will you forgive me Huntress saves the hostage and then leaves and says no I will never forgive you and then then Deadshot comes out and then Catman's like and Catman's like actually I planned all this and I planned to get caught that way Huntress will never try and get me to turn into a good guy again that way she'll get over me and she'll stop trying okay Birds of Prey number 11 let's uh, go through a couple things let's do this what's with uh, Oracle wearing Batman PJs that just seems weird. I I don't know what it is. I'm sure, you know, in the universe that is the DC universe, you know, there's probably merchandise. But who gets royalties from that? Does Batman Inc. get royalties from that merchandise? Because if they're not, they really have some lawsuits on their hands. Besides that, two, two things. You know, we've talked about these innuendo things that uh, Gail Simone tends to do. And it doesn't help their artists, you know egg her on in a way by doing a little bit more than they need to do. Referring to Josh's statements where, you know, Huntress looks like she's two feet tall and she is tending <laughs> to his wounds. What about that panel, Dustin? Oh my. Is it just me or does it seem like she's oh. on her knees and she's awfully close to a certain area? I had to look at that panel two or three times. This is a family-friendly podcast, so that's all I'm going to go I don't with. know what you're talking about. Oh, but I do! You can use your imagination to figure it out, but I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive it was drawn as another one of those innuendos. On top of that, what was the point of showing Barbara undressing from her Batman PJs? Exactly. Why, why do we need to see that? Why do we need to see... You know, half of her side is she's completely naked, and just like the part they can't show in a comic book to the mass market, or in the shadows. Because you don't see her again for like several pages. It's, yeah, it's not. Exactly. It's not. Like she's, it's not. Like she's like transforming into anything. She's. She's like right. takes her shirt off, and that's it. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not really understanding this. I really don't get it. I don't understand what the unnecessary use of these innuendos are, and. I'm not really trying to bash Gail Simone, but 
you know, I follow her on Twitter, and I see some of the comments she makes, and I think she she finds the, the innuendos like extremely humorous, and obviously a lot of other people do too. I just don't understand what the strong need for them is, especially since Gail Simone is a is a writer who wants to tote strong female characters. How are you going to ever make your female characters strong characters if you're constantly putting them in odd situations where they're either appearing half-naked or making sexual remarks that are not... or very They're making sexual remarks in a very discreet way. I, I, she's contradicting herself. And I have a problem with that because, you know, I'm, I'm not so someone to say that we can't have strong female characters. I'd love to see female characters get, you know, live-action movies or animated movies or, you know, the whole nine yards. This is not helping that situation. Buying a, a comic that's featuring all of these female characters and seeing them in these odd predicaments that basically is stating to the world, hey, that's what these females are for. They're here so that we can use them in odd ways as sexual references. To me, that, that just completely defeats the purpose. I thought this story was enjoyable, despite the fact that we had all these innuendos. Huntress doesn't really seem to get a lot of attention in the book, and in my opinion, I think she should get a little bit more, or move to a different book, or be featured in more of the Batman series, as she has been in the past. She did appear for a couple issues in Batman Streets of Gotham, but that was a long time ago. Huntress is a great character, I like it, and I think the the element of, you know, Huntress is one of those characters who works in the gray, just like Catman is currently doing, I think that could be explored a little bit more. I think it would be interesting to see somebody besides Batman and Catwoman possibly having a relationship. But, again, I understand that these are kind of B-list characters as far as the overall picture of things, so it's not as, you know, amusing to see something mature over time. Overall, it was a good issue. I, I enjoyed the art very well. Just take out the union windows and I'll give it a higher rate, rating. Uh, two and a half out of five batterings. Quick uh, continuity trivia. Did you know that um, in the Silver Age, Catman actually had a thing for Kathy Kane? Let me just get this straight in my head because there were so many twists and turns in my story. According to the end, Catman and Deadshot collaborated together to kidnap a woman you know, who almost died, who almost got raped by this guy, something I didn't mention in the recap, you know, steal a priceless artifact. Also, Huntress would stop trying to tell Catman to be a good guy again. What? I... I don't even know if I can form a coherent thought on how... But I'll sure try my darndest. That is, like, as contrived to those Superman stories, where, like, Superman would, like, dress up as the devil, I kid you not, and, like, pretend to take Lois Lane's soul to teach her a lesson about making promises that she can't keep. Like, you know, stuff like that. Like, she's like, call the girl and say, leave me alone. Don't, like, this was, like, just this whole, gosh, elaborated, it's just weird. And the art was off, it's... I'm going to give this two out of five batter. Oh, and another thing, too, like, Oracle and Black Canary, they're, like, on the... And it reminds me of, you know, when I get together with these girls who I know, they always sit around and they talk about, like, their friends, like, oh, she's going to get together with that guy again. Like, 
instead of like talking about crime fighting or like you know i hope that this woman's going to be safe like they're sitting there like they're like you know two women at the hair salon like oh i hope huntress makes the right decision about getting back together with catman uh, uh, uh. that is bad news girl <laughs> like uh, like they're like oh no helena no i hope to god she knows what she's doing like ah uh, whatever oh yeah and by the way black canary <laughs> You two are ones to talk based on some of the men that you've been involved with, but whatever. I'm not even going there. Two out of five batterings, the end. Huh. God bless. Does anybody remember what I, what, how I reacted in the last issue of Birds of Prey? Or for the last several months, for that matter? Um, because if you're hoping for... Uh, I hate this book. Yeah, no. This, 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 this issue sucked. Just like all the others. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful cover, though. But the cover is like a ball of lies. Like, okay, I'm going to slow down. I don't like the Hunter's character. And as with the title, the, char- the series, and with Gail Simone herself, I don't really seek to hate something. Or, no, I shouldn't say hate, but dislike. I mean, I've given her a chance. I've read her in other things. But I just do not like her. And I don't like her for the reasons that She's annoying. She's she's a really annoying person who just pretty much goes around and does whatever she wants and just acts like a shrew to everybody. She almost comes off she almost comes off as sexist half the time because every time I re- ever read her, she's like up against some man, you know, kicking them in the crotch and like just like shooting shooting sticks through their through their limbs and stuff like that. And it's like it's almost as though she's never evolved from like when the post crisis version of her first appeared in like the early 90s, I believe, back in Detective. It's like, she's still the exact same character after all these years, and at this point in time, it's way past irritating. So, this issue tackles her relationship with uh, Catman, whatever it is. I don't, I really don't, I genuinely don't care. And throughout the entire issue, Catman, okay, I understand he's a former villain, taking on Batman and everything, and the two may have some history, but... I don't know. It's, it's like, it, as Hundreds is with everybody, I don't really see what Catman does, even if he even if he did have a, a plan up his sleeve, where it, it warranted him by just being shut down and, like, rebuffed every single time he spoke. It's like, he couldn't get two sentences out without her saying, shut up, or I'm going to kill you, or I'm going I'm to, you know, I'm going to poke you in the eyes if you look, look at me like that. And it's like, oh, he kisses her, and she smacks him. He says, oh, you didn't want me to? She's like, No. Okay. Well, don't don't stop. Like she's like she says. Well, I don't want you to not kiss me either. And it's like this is unbelievable. I don't believe for a second that any woman of any creed, any color, any age would act like this. I'm sorry, I don't. I mean, I I won't believe the point. But Hunters was just ridiculous the, the entire issue. Probably the worst I've seen her. And that's considering that's saying something considering I can't stand the character in anything I read her. Um, the art was bad, but not as offensive as last issue. Um, that panel was ridiculous. And like Dustin, what is up with the panel with uh, Oracle getting out of bed and changing? But we have to see like the changing of her taking her shirt off because we don't see her for several pages. And next time we see her, she's in the, the court tower. I get like I I, I like Gail Simone as a, as a person, as as tawdry as that sounds. I mean, I, I follow her on I have her on Facebook and everything, and she seems really cool. But it's like. I don't. I, I don't. I just don't like how she writes. She writes these characters, 
And also near the end, I thought the way Huntress figured out that Catman was behind everything was very, very tenuous. She's like, oh, you knew this person by, by looking him in the eye. Only that, that means that you were behind everything. And then she says, go back, to your, go back to the Secret Six. Don't let me see you again. And for some reason, that, that causes Oracle and Black Canary to say, oh, God, Helena, don't kill him. Please don't. What are we going to do? How can we stop her? After she told him that to, to go away. No, 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 no. They were were like, don't get back together with him. That's that's what they were worried about, these, like, little hair salon chicks. I don't even know if that's true or not. I mean, it's it's like, this entire thing was a waste of time. And and I know it was was intended to be a one-and-done, but my God, (laughs) this sucks so hard. I'm going to give this one out of five batterings. I want to give it lower, but I just can't muster the strength. I think I can now honestly say that this is my least favorite book. And I actually don't enjoy reading it. I mean, I have to review it, but I don't want to, and it's always the last one I pick up. But um, the art was better. Like, the art was fine, but only compared to the last issue, where it was absolutely abysmal. And the story, I thought, was quite predictable. I always suspected Catman was going to be behind it. Perhaps not for the exact reason that he was, but... Yeah, I thought the story was predictable. The plot was ridiculous. And, again, we just get our intelligence insulted by this overwhelming amount of innuendos. And now not only is it all these sort of verbal jokes and stuff, but we have to look at it as well. And, uh, yeah, and Barbara Gordon as well was still introduced as Barbara Gordon, a.k.a. Oracle. And, like, it was in this title that she supposedly died and we're still being introduced to her as, as Oracle. So I'm going to give this one out of five batterings. All right. So that is going to give Birds of Prey number 11 one and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Red Robin number 22. Red Robin number 22, Judgment on Gotham, written by Fabian and illustrated by Freddie Williams II. This issue starts off with um, Tim sort of reminiscing over the history of death, the history that death has on his life. He considers what happened, how he, his state of mind when his mother died and his father was in a coma. Then he goes back to his father's death and how his friends seem to be dying around him during that period of time and during the crisis where you know Bruce was considered dead. And he thinks about his not only his mental state but also his religious beliefs, what what little they may be. He doesn't know if he believes in God. He doesn't see how he can because he doesn't see how he's somebody who who tries to do the right thing all the time for most of his life, pretty much all of his life, and all this all these things keep on happening to him. This also comes to a head because he's being sicked upon by the Crusader as we are in the Judgment of Gotham storyline with Azrael. Basically, as 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 was evidence in the last issue of Batman. Catwoman, Batman, and Red Robin are all being tested by Azrael the Crusader to see if they are worthy enough to be to have Gotham be saved, whatever that means. So, Tim is the first on the list, and they the Crusader holds Mayor Haiti hostage. That's the mayor this time in Gotham, and Tim needs to save him without sacrificing any innocence on the way because the Crusader is throwing bus full of people and cars full of uh, cops and everything out of his way. And Tim manages actually to save him with his gadgets and quickly glides over there. He uh, briefly talks to Dick and wonders why Dick isn't doing anything, which will be revealed in the next 
uh, Batman issue. And he also has uh, Lonnie Macon uh, um, hook, patch him into Michael Lane's family and tells Michael Lane's um, sister-in-law slash lover that that Gotham City burning up to the ground. Yeah, it's, it's all it's all his fault. So after Tim saves um, what are those things? A GCPD blimp, and he he also saves people from a burning church. He finally confronts uh, the Crusader in Azrael back in uh, where they're holding Mayor Hay hostage. Tim says it's over, but Azrael says it's not over until you see if you have sin or not. And so he stabs him with a fiery red sword. But Tim is pretty sinless. He says it tickles, and there's nothing there's nothing more for him to be tested on. So Azrael's like, yeah, you're right. Okay, you, you can go now. But then the Crusader busts through the, uh, the window, Kool-Aid man style, and says, not so fast. He didn't bow his knees when he went into the church. Therefore, he does not believe. Isn't that right? Isn't it true? And then Red Robin considers lying for a second, but says he doesn't want to lie because that, that means, yeah, he really did fail. So he confesses, yeah, I, I don't really believe. I, I tried, but I just can't with, with my life. And so <laughs> this causes Azrael and Crusader to have a major strop and just they say, yeah, you fail. Okay, insta-fail. Gotham is doomed, and so are you. So while they leave without hurting anybody, Commissioner says, Commissioner Gordon says, you know, some things are never as simple as you want them to be. And while that is happening, we cut to Rachel Gould being t- informed by the White Ghost saying, Tim Drake has failed his test. Shocking. And Rachel Gould basically says that, well, because he failed, Gotham, is, Gotham City will die at dawn. This is what we continued. Gotham City Sirens 2022. All right. Red Robin number 22. For the most part, this was much different than the internet story we've been accustomed to the last few issues of Red Robin. I gotta say, uh, you know, I, I'll be covering the Batman issue of this Azrael story arc later on. Um, and we'll hear about the Gotham City Sirens in a second. I don't know. It's hard to say what really the the point of this story was other than for Azrael to figure out the fact that Tim doesn't have any sins that he can at- that he hasn't atoned for, not surprising. The fact that Azrael is so easily uh so easily swayed by whatever the crusader says is just completely ridiculous. Um, the Crusader is supposed to be following Azrael, not the other way around. So why is the Crusader able to say to Azrael, wait, 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 no. You may have said he's worthy, but he's not worthy. It's just, I don't know. There's a lot of holes, as we'll point out in the other issues as well, with the whole idea of what Azrael and the Crusader stand for. And, yeah, that's that's uh, all I have to say about that. It was interesting to see the Dark Knight Goo Gun uh, featured, but one thing that was kind of odd was when he shot the water tower and the water tower fell over, it appeared as if all the water was going all over the top of the blimp. I don't understand why this would stop the blimp from hitting the ground and then saving all of the people. Unless, of course, he had like a freeze batarang or something that froze it so that it stayed in place or something, which... I don't recall seeing, I just recall seeing the blimp coming down, water splashing over the blimp and all these people running away, and then the next panel just showed water and the blimp, 
And then that, that was it. He, the next panel was Tim nowhere near that situation. So that was kind of odd. Um, as far as the art, Freddie Williams III, his art style has definitely changed from his days on Robin. This is not the same art that we had before, and I don't think that's a good thing. His his art style seems a little bit more, a little bit more rough, a little bit more. I wouldn't say rushed, but definitely not as as uh, smooth as it was when he was on Robin with Fabian, you know, two years ago. So overall, I think it was an okay issue. I don't. It's not really anything I'm gonna write home about. That's for sure. So uh, three out of five batterings. All right. The beginning annoyed me with Tim being like, so I went to confess my sins, and I thought about all I've done. Then I realized, huh, I don't have any sins. I haven't really done anything wrong. First of all, that is an arrogant thing to say. Very, very arrogant. And second of all, hasn't the whole Red Robin series been Tim, like, making alliances with Ra's al Ghul, using people as pawns and, like, you know, bait, and then, you know, him saying, I'm going into a gray area that I shouldn't be going in. And then, like, Batman in his white casebook saying, hmm, I'm worried about Tim. He's going into a really, really gray area. Well, the, 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 when he says that he prayed and realized he didn't have any sins, that was before he became Red Robin. Okay, so he's never done anything like, but 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 he holds it to be true. Like here, though, in the present day, when like he gets stabbed, and he's like, "Aha, fooled you! I don't have any sins." Well, that's the only logical conclusion he could go to. I mean, I don't know if he. I, don't know. Huh. I, don't I know. mean, and 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 I'm sure that like you know, if we sat down and we thought about it, there's been some sins, you know, before the Red Robin days. Certainly, I mean, he's done some. I just thought that that was an arrogant thing to say, and like not only that, but like it flies in the like the whole premises of this series anyway, which is that like this is not your daddy's Tim Drake. This Tim Drake is friends with people like Prudence and Ra's al Ghul. What's going on here? But no, he has no sins, and uh, I, <laughs> that annoyed me. It didn't ruin the comic for me, but. Uh, it definitely annoyed me. The art. Okay. When Tim calls, who, who's that girl that Tim called? Uh, Michael Lane's uh, uh, sister-in-law slash lover. Oh, that was her? Yeah. She's called in every single chapter of this book, and everyone's like, here she is, called for the first time. Okay. Can we get, like, just because she's an African-American woman doesn't mean that she has to be drawn exactly like Zoanne. Exactly like Tam Fox. Like, that's, a, that's a Williams 2 thing. I, that's the thing, like, you can, like, change this panel. Like, I wasn't sure who he was calling. It's Now, granted, I was a little sick when I read this, but... And he actually does say who he's calling. But by the art, you think that it's, like, Zoanne or Tam Fox. It's so... Make the art a little better, please, and then... Uh, I like that how they had some threads, though, into the other parts of uh, this Asriel thing. Like, you see Dick Grayson looking at the poster for Prodigy. You know, that was pretty cool. But otherwise, this thing was padded. This was unnecessary. We don't need a commercial for the Asriel series, especially since it's over. And Tim Drake is an arrogant son of a gun if he thinks that, like, he's never done a sin in his whole life. Uh, I'm going to three out of five batterings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, we're doing this. <laughs> no, I really, I really thought that this this put the series back on track because 
it was it was no more um, you know Tim Drake versus t- interwebs. It was more you know Tim Drake versus Tim Drake, sort of like you know that sort of inner struggle sort of thing. And I realized how how it set up because around the time between before right before uh, the Batman Reborn era, where every the whole status quo was changed, there was a lot of talk about how how bad Tim's life had gotten. You know how he lost a lot of people and how he how how the guy just didn't. Didn't have, didn't like you know just take a leap off a, off a building after all he's gone through, so I really like that um, it's it's being addressed here after after a while. Not not to say it was never addressed, but I, I like the fact that it still kind of hangs towards him during this sort of thing. It sort of like brings his mind back to that era where you have questions of faith and everything. And I, and I liked how they handled Tim's questions of faith. I thought it was pretty pretty logical. It wasn't it didn't feel hampered. It, it didn't feel like it was anything other than the writer trying to be true to the character. So I thought that was pretty cool. I don't think that Tim was being uh, um, arrogant or pig-headed when he was thinking he didn't have any sanity. Well, first of all, I mean, first of all, he's still 17. He's, he's not like a, he's not like an all, all-knowing kind of character. I think I can see him, no matter how cool Tim Drake is, there's always those, those moments every now and then where he just falls into teenage tropes. And I feel that with his certain life, I can see how he thinks that um, not right. I don't know about right now, but like at that moment in time in that panel, he thinks that there wasn't anything that he didn't need to be punished for. That, in my opinion. But I like how every time he tries to, to to save somebody, he just he just says, you know, he just questions, you know, why would a, a god allow to do this? This doesn't make any sense. Even though it, it's interesting because it's, it's just opposed with him saving everybody. It's, it's not like you see people. You assume people are dying, but Tim saves a lot of people in this issue, and you don't see him really fail. Also, I, I will say that at the very end, like the, the Crusader is like probably the most ridiculous freaking character this side of Superboy Prime, and like him, him saying he's not worthy because he didn't show reverence to God. That must automatically mean that he doesn't believe in God. I'm sure they were right, but I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, that that was so blatantly stupid. And the fact that they were playing that straight really bothered me. That was probably my only biggest problem with the issue. But otherwise, I really liked it. I, I liked how I loved how Fabian writes Tim Drake. I agree that the art was rough. I think it had more to do with the inking. But then again, that could have been um, uh, Freddie Williams's uh, digital inking because he didn't have an inker in this one. I don't think. I don't think he did. So um, eh, I, I didn't dislike the art though. But I, I enjoy this issue. I'm, again, going to give this four out of five batterings. Overall, I, to be honest, I did prefer this to the internet storyline. And um, I, I like the art a lot. I, I really, really like the first splash page. And um, I think it... I think... Um, I much prefer his work to March's uh, work. Although it doesn't quite capture the darkness of the, the um, arc. But uh, I think it was interesting how Tim was always going to be their their best hope, and you know he failed, which it kind of makes I think Gotham City Sirens issue a little bit pointless because without reading, you already know that Catwoman's never going to pass. I mean, I think the issue ties in well with the rest of the crossover. I think there must have been some good communication between the all the uh, three writers, so it does it holds up in that respect. But um, I don't really agree with Nicieza about his... You can read it as a separate issue. But uh, 
you know, we've read it as part of a crossover anyway, so that didn't really matter. But I'll give it two and a half out of five batterings. All right, and over on the website, Swap Star gave it one out of five batterings, so that is going to give the issue overall three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Gotham City Sirens number 22. He should have been more careful. Now he's paid the price for his incompetence. All right, people are still being tested. Catwoman's swinging around thinking, huh, isn't it crazy all that stuff that's been happening recently? Harley almost killing the Joker, me and Ivy breaking up. And then Dick calls her and and she, you know, says, okay, Red Robin failed, didn't he? And then he's like, how'd you know? And then she says, because you're calling me. So Catwoman decides that for her, she's going to look for them. She follows up on some leads of her own and actually breaks Lane's apartment where his ex-sister-in-law you know, does not look like Tam Fox or Zoanne in this issue, uh, attacks Catwoman, and Catwoman ties her up and says, yeah, you know, your brother-in-law slash apparently guy that you're sleeping with. I'm not sleeping with him. Shut up, woman. Uh, yeah, he's going to blow up the city. No, he won't. Okay, but we need you to stop him. So Catwoman goes off, realizing that that was a waste of time. Meanwhile, uh, Azrael and Crusader um, run into Maggie, Selena Kyle's sister, who's like, hey, I'll join you, and I have a plan, so they can Azrael and Crusader, and then uh, Red Robin shows up, interfering again. Azrael comes, stabs Selena, and she sees her, her, you know, most regretful sin, which is flashbacks to her abandoning her sister, and then stuff that happened to her sister afterwards, which um, is a good recap, you know, for those of you who don't know, but Kyle's deal is okay so yeah she so they all got together and they say all right selena the only way that you can prove that you're innocent is if you take this knife and stab me then i'll go to heaven and you'll exercise the cat demon from you and god and won't blow up selena takes the knife and she's like you're all crazy i'm gonna stab you all instead and then they're like nope you failed the test gotham screwed so crusader and Azrael like hey uh, maggie kyle do you want to join us she's like nah no thanks uh but i'll probably see you later as Ra's al Ghul looks on, saying, so, Selena Kyle failed, and he drops a dominant, and Dick Grayson will... Alright, Gotham City Sirens number 22. Surprisingly, I don't have a whole lot of uh, plot holes that I saw. Um, one of the only ones was in a couple of the different panels where they show the Crusader. For some reason, he has no beard, and others, he clearly has a beard. That's the only plot <laughs> hole I had for that one. The power uh, of Christ compels you. This issue, again, I, I don't know. In some regards, I think it's better than some of the past issues of Gotham City Sirens that we've seen, specifically because it ties a lot more into some of the events that are occurring within Gotham City. But since it's a crossover, it kind of negates that idea in the first place. And the thing that I, I found a little interesting was the idea of bringing Selina Kyle's sister back into the book it's almost as if, you know, once a year, Maggie Kyle is going to appear and be like, Selena, you are a cat demon, and then she's going to disappear, because that's what that's what this character has basically consisted of since she's been back, since around Blackest Night. I don't really have much more to say than that. The The art was, was alright, the story was alright. I, I think it's a little ridiculous, like Joe said in his review for Red Robin, it's a little ridiculous knowing that Red Robin failed, that, you know, was there really any doubt in our minds that Catwoman was going to fail too? I did find it a slight bit ridiculous that the only way she was going to pass was to kill somebody. 
How would it be God's will to kill somebody? Just saying, I don't want to get all crazy religious here. So, with that, I'm going to give this one three out of five batterings as well. Alright, this was... I don't really feel like these are crossovers. These are chapters of, like, a storyline where the same thing happens for each character. The character gets tested. The character confronts Michael Lane's, you know, lover slash sister-in-law. She tells them to go to heck. And then they fail their test, and Ra's al Ghul says, soon, ma-ha-ha-ha-ha, soon. <laughs> you know, this is basically the plot for Red Robin, except with Catwoman, and Catwoman not saying, instead of Catwoman saying, well, I don't have any sin, she's saying, huh, I've broken all Ten Commandments. Um, at the end, she just kind of, like, everyone just kind of stands there. She doesn't, like, try and, like, you know, tie your sister up and take her to a sanitarium. Or, like, you know, you're all standing on the rooftop, you know, try and beat up Azriel or something. I, I... It's just weird, like, well, I guess this is over, so, yeah, let's all go out for pizza or something. We'll see you in Batman. Yeah, we'll see you in Batman issue 709. I mean, I'm glad that we didn't have anything stupid with Harley and Ivy this issue, because this book is getting, I don't know. It's just, you know, random one-offs and random stuff here and there. I'm kind of over it. I'm going to give this two out of five batterings. Uh, I think this was a very big missed opportunity, especially since Selena was the the showcase in this issue. I thought that she would have, be a really good, just like in my opinion, Tim was for Red Robin. That would be a, been a really good source for some inner character drama. <laughs> but no, why did I think that is Captain City Sirens? So I don't, I don't know. At this, we, how long have we been doing this Azrael storyline? Ten months now. Back in like back in near the end of two thousand ten. It was the end of two thousand nine. Uh, I mean, like, I mean, like since the Crusader storyline. Oh, yeah, 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 somewhere around there. It's it's like it's like, it's like oh god. Well, I can't say that because the Crusader will come kill me. It's like, I'm I'm really getting tired of this whole. If you send your you you know you're screwed once and for all. And I, I mean, that that's a very Old Testament sort of way to go about it. But this 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 is this is the same guy who was like, um, if I recall correctly, in my. Uh, uh, theology class that I took when I went to Catholic school, um, coveting his brother's wife. I mean, these guys, these, these guys are such are such hilariously ridiculous cafeteria Catholics that they they they, they pick and choose what they want to believe to the point of like absurdism. And it, it, it's not like you know they have this one goal. They they blatantly ignore other stuff, and it's the point where like no other character calls them out on it. I think Tim did once and says, you can't do this. This, this is the God's plan. Why would he do this? And they, like, quote some meaningless Bible quote from um, the Old Testament, which contradicts a lot of what, what happens in the New Testament, but I'm not going to go into that. It's, it's, just, it's just ridiculous. And, like, this, this is, this is what I really, I really was dreading when they brought this whole, hey, did you know that Michael Lane was the son of God? I bet you didn't. Well, let's tell you about it. I, I was really dreading this whole kind of, like, like – um, sensationalistic sort of like flogging of uh, typical draconian Da Vinci Code-esque religious sort of um, cliches. And that's all we're getting. <laughs> I suppose in Gotham City Sirens, they couldn't come up with much better, but I don't know. Again, it doesn't really offend me. It's just it's just dumb. I mean, it's, just, it's sort of a waste of time. You know where the story's going. Selena's not going to kill her nun sister. And Selena's not going to die. So, when you're left with, like, an op- two options and neither options is going to happen, there's no tension. 
it's, it, that's, that's basic storytelling. There's no tension. At least give us a surprise. At least have Selena, like, I don't know, cut Tim's head off and then, like, Tim become the messiah or something. something. Give us a swerve, something. Something that is worth – makes the issue worth reading. And this issue was not worth reading, certainly not for the art, and cer- certainly not for the writing. I, I'm coming up a lot more harder than I was, but I'm just really despondent over this this whole thing. I'll give this two out of five veterans. I thought the the art is incredibly inconsistent. I'm not a fan of Ronaldo, and I don't think he can draw Catwoman, at least not from the front. And the first image of Dick was shockingly bad. But I do think that the cinematography of the issue is very good. But then, with regards to like the religion and stuff, I agree it's very Old Testament, like, sacrifice this person, you shall be saved, and when uh, Josh was saying about how it's the same story every issue, it reminds me of those sort of sitcoms where it's an episode where you get three of the characters and they wake up and it's that day, their day in the same episode, played three times, and you see how they all interlink. It reminds me a bit of that, except it's bad. And um, I think that the first lines reference how stupid the ending of the last issue was, with a, with a, which goes... I've basically abandoned my friends to go and see what just what's going on. She just wants to have a look, so she abandons her friends to get arrested, leaving them in Arkham Asylum. And uh, I think this was probably the weakest part of the crossover, so I'm only going to give it two out of five batterings. All right, so that is going to give Gotham City Sirens number 22 two out of five batarangs. Let's move into Batman number 709, the conclusion of the Azrael crossover. You know what I'd have given for a death scene like this? <laughs> Too bad I won't get to read the notices. <laughs> this Thank is God. written by David Hine and art by Gillian March. We start off with basically Dick Grayson recalling the prodigy or this person that he's come to to remember over the period of time since he's been stabbed with Azrael's sword. At this point, he points out that he has to go take on Azrael and the Crusader himself and tells Catwoman and Red Robin to stay away. As he shows up on a rooftop to confront Azrael and the Crusader, Fireball is also there um, at any point about to blow. But the reason why... Um, he's there is because he sees this person who was originally the prodigy. We hear the story of the character, the prodigy, which essentially was, this was a trapeze artist just like Dick Grayson. He was in Haley's Circus, and as time progressed, he was actually better than Dick Grayson at one point because he did a lot of very crazy tricks. But the issue was that, uh, he got a little bit too close to a girl in one of the towns he visited and got the crap beat out of him. The point of this was that the entire time Dick Grayson was actually watching as a child, he saw um, Prodigy getting beat up and did nothing about it, just walked home, and he felt bad about this. So that's the guilt that he's been feeling all of this time. In some ways, he was actually jealous of this person. So back and forth, Batman and Azrael argue about who's right and who's wrong. And Azrael comes to the conclusion that Batman fails as well, so Gotham City will be destroyed. 
He says, well, uh, what about uh, Jenny and her kids? Is she Is she going to be destroyed too? He says, no, 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 of course not. Why would she be destroyed? They're long gone. Well, it turns out Red Robin and Catwoman have actually brought Jenny and the kids to Azrael. And uh, Jenny makes a point to say, I can't believe uh, you're doing this. You're not this destructive monster monster that you're that you're be- that you've become. Um, at that point, uh, Batman suggests that Azrael stab himself with the swords to see really the truth that God wants him to see. And he does, and he finds out that the entire thing is actually a ruse for Ra's al Ghul, and uh, Ra's al Ghul is actually doing everything, and Azrael's not working for God, but only for Ra's al Ghul. At this point, uh, Fireball can no longer contain himself, and he's about to explode. Uh, Azrael commands the Crusader to put a force f- his force field around Fireball to try to prevent anything. Um, from occurring the only destruction that actually happens is a bunch of windows get shattered within a half mile radius and Fireball ends up dying at the end of the story Azrael takes off and leaves Jenny behind and uh, Batman talks to Prodigy and Prodigy says well there's a little bit of the story that I didn't say and uh, it was that I knew that my friend Dick was there the entire time and he was just a kid he makes mistakes and I don't believe in forgiveness, but I would give it to him anyway. And uh, so there's no reason for Dick Grayson to feel guilty anymore. <laughs> At the very end, White Ghost is uh, pretty ticked that Azrael betrayed Ra's al Ghul, but uh, we will see what happens in the future with Ra's al Ghul. And that's the end of Batman 709 and the Azrael's crossover. All right, Batman number 709. I don't know that this was much better than the other two issues in the arc, but uh, the one thing that I did enjoy was kind of understanding this. We had never knew the name of this project character. We've seen a couple flashes in Dick Grayson's mind of this character, and I think it was interesting to see something again from Dick's, you know, past from before. You know, he his parents died and, and uh, he was adopted by Bruce Wayne. It's interesting to see things from characters past. I'm always going to say that. History and building these characters is, is always going to be something that I'm going to enjoy. That being said, this specific story presented to be overall nothing. And I say that because when you... Because I read these issues in order simultaneously, one right after the other, and I left here thinking to myself, okay, now there's an excuse for Azrael to not be around in the books for a while... And we'll probably end up seeing some stupid Azrael miniseries pop up at some point, or he's going to show back up in another book and have a story arc that's going to pop up. But there's a reason for him to disappear because now he has to go find his real meaning since he's been working for Razal Ghul all this time. Um, they could have done this in Azrael before the that series ended. I don't think they needed to take three different series and make an Azrael story out of it. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot more than that. Gilliam's art was was uh, very average for him. I don't think it, there was anything special about it. And David Hine, I, I've, you know, the sad part is the guy does a lot of different things to kind of expand the history of the Batman universe. 
in almost every story that he's written, except for the Azrael stuff, for the most part. Um, he's done a lot of expanding the, Bat- the history of the Batman universe, but i, I got to say, after his work on Azrael, I don't know if it was just the Azrael character or what, but I'm, I'm, I can't say that I'm really looking forward to the next Stephen Hines story. So with that, I'm going to give Batman 709 three out of five bad rings. Okay, so Red Robin and Catwoman show up. He's like, I thought I told you to stay away. They're like, no, we decided not to, which that's the same thing that happened in Catwoman. Red Robin shows up when he's not supposed to, etc. People always showing up when they're not supposed to. And then uh, Michael Lane's sister-in-law comes. They're like, you called her your his sister-in-law? Yeah, just now. No, not just now. Everyone's called her in every issue of every part of this story. Like, so that was a little annoying, you know, the repetition there. And, and in fact, like, that whole thing, like, this could have been done in one part. I thought that it was a little contrived that, like, at the end, Prodigy's like, but wait, the most important part of the story that for some reason I'm mentioning, Dick Grayson's A little on contrived. It. A little contrived. A little contrived. Like, no, like it's funny, because when he's doing his whole origin story, like, when they cut him off, he's like, no, wait, I'm leaving out the worst part, the part that Batman must hear. Like... Like, why does he feel that that's, like, a very important part, like, of the story that, like, Batman must hear? And then at the end, like, he, like, drives it in. He's like, yeah, wherever Dick Grayson is, I forgive him. Yup. I mean, why, if you were Dick Grayson yourself, I would forgive you right this second. But <laughs> but you're not. <laughs> that was, I don't know, it, it, it was weird the way that that was set up. Uh, I hope that we've seen the last of Azrael for a while, but I have a feeling that we won't, because apparently this regime seems to love Azrael a lot. Here's to hoping, though. Oh, and Batman, like, calling, and, like, Dick Grayson's like, yeah, all of Gotham's about to blow up. Batman's like, should I come home? He's like, nah, I got this. <laughs> that was, I don't know, I'll, I'll give this two and a half out of five batterings. Well, this issue was a massive failure, and I'll tell you why. Basically... It it boils down to the fact that Dick Grayson, you know, the Batman who has been left in charge of Gotham, came within milliseconds of having an atomic bomb go off in the middle of the city. And that that just bothers me so much. What bothers me is less, but still bothers me, is the fact that Tim brings uh, over uh, an enemy's family members to try to get them to calm down. Didn't the last time that happened, you know, back at the end of his title, they were killed? I yep. mean, he's doing the exact same thing. Like, like that, that, that just stank of like, oh, let me do, the, let me do this thing that I, you know, that I did before, which I always regret, because you know it will, it will ha- happen different this time. Well, he doesn't have any and sense. He doesn't regret that. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I, I know, I know, no, not a single writer reads all these issues anyway. But that just, that was really frustrating. There was the prodigy uh, backstory with Dick. Um, on the one hand, I, I, I am kind of. Like, that was a, a big much to do about nothing. I mean, that was it. The decorations, darkest secrets. Because really, I, if the guy had died, I think it would be. But the fact that he was beaten up and, and slightly crippled, I don't really see the big deal too much. I mean, I can remember, not remember, I can understand Dick feeling bad, but this has not shaped Dick Grayson's life. And this should be um, readily forgotten. At the same time, however, I do appreciate that it wasn't that bad of an, a backstory. I am glad that this doesn't change everything because I, I don't think my soul would be able to handle it just because they're going through so much stuff in the Bad Books right now. I don't think they could really write uh, a backstory to Dick Grayson that would be as momentous as it, as it would have been. 
I don't know. I really like the art, though. I mean, I, I always the art's a joy to see, and I love every panel. But the stories makes the stories like almost insulting how bad it is. All these, these characters are written so stupidly. Tim Drake endangers family members again because they could have been atomized by an atomic bomb. Dick Grayson nearly gets Gotham City atomized by an atomic bomb. And then, oh yeah, the Crusader in Azrael, Batman says, well, you're so good, why don't you stab yourself? I don't remember exactly when, but didn't that already happen to him like six months ago? And then he says, okay. And the the Crusader doesn't say, no, no, it's a trick. He says, be careful. (laughs) And, And then all of a sudden, that makes him cognizant of the fact that Rachel Ghoul is, you know, a tool and and manipulating him. How does that work? Did he hear about this? Does he have telepathy now? And then at the very end, Rachel isn't like, you know, curses. He's like Good move, Grayson. This is but one small setback in the war against Scotland. Like with the most constipated look on his face. This was ridiculous. <laughs> uh two out of five batterings, I'm sorry. I think Maybe the sad thing is, I thought this was the um, the best out of the three that we had this in the, these couple of weeks, which to me kind of shows that David Hine is actually the best at writing Azrael, which is just goes to show that it's an awful character, because if the person who picked it up is the only one who can write it and it still gets as much hate as it does, then it's clearly not something that should be written I think I quite like the twist at the end I mean looking back on it now it is obviously very ridiculous and I didn't even pick up on the um, just how bad that oh if Dick Grayson was here now I'd, I'd tell him I'd forgive him that, that, that didn't cross my mind because I knew I was reading Dick Grayson and I didn't read it in that context but looking back that was stupid I, I genuinely didn't know how Dick would save Gotham. I mean, obviously Gotham wouldn't be destroyed, but I didn't see that coming. And um, but I think the crossover. Well, obviously I would have rather it not written at all. But if it had to be, I think I would have rather the whole thing being written by uh, David Hine. But I'm going to give this issue three out of five batterings and hope that we don't see Azrael ever again. <laughs> it's going to give Batman number seven hundred nine two and a half. Out of five batarangs. Let's move into our final book, which is Superman Batman number 83. Her name is Kara Zarel from Krypton. She's my cousin. Your cousin just torched $50,000 worth of custom hardware. Send me the bill. On a reporter's salary. Right. Superman Batman issue 83 and part three of the Sorcerer Kings arc. Written by Cullen Bunn with art by Chris Cross. The issue opens in the future with Batman, Nina and Superman travelling to the headquarters of the League, which turns out to be the Hall of Doom. The League itself, also known as the Rebellion, is comprised of Tracy 13, Arthur Curry, Jason Blood, Stanley Dover and his monster, and Clarion the Warlock. Batman and Clarion immediately get into an argument about the death of the future Superman. Clarion claims he couldn't have known what would happen, but Batman says, yes he could, he was there. We then cut to the present day Batman, alongside Detective Jimp and Dr. Occult, exploring the sewers on their way to the Witch's Highway, with Clarion the Witch Boy as their guide. The group reach the Witch's Highway, a huge wellspring of magic, with four evil sorcerers casting a ritual 
surrounded by hundreds of evil cultists. That man calls for backup. Back in the future, we learn the reason Superman travelled back to the past was because Lois died, and he felt he could single-handedly alter time. Superman is obviously very upset at this news, but Batman explains that if they want to stop the evil cult, it has to be in the future. We cut back to a massive fight scene with Batman, Shadow Pact, and lots of other magical heroes in battle with the evil cultists. But just before they defeat the sorcerers, they finish their spell and a demon bursts from the portal, defeating the heroes. Superman has to defeat the sorcerers in the future so that they cannot send the demon back to stop Batman defeating the sorcerers. End of part three. Okay. Superman Batman 83. Again, the art uh, I thought was perfect for the story that's being told. I thought the... You know, a lot of people don't like the magic element. I think the characters that are involved in the DC Universe that are the magic characters are interesting. As I've said before, I like the character of Detective Chimp despite the fact that it's a freaking chimp that talks <laughs> and dresses like a detective. Awesome. Like Sherlock Holmes. What? Awesome. Oh, I think you said false. No. Um, the, the interesting thing is, though, that, uh, you know, We've always known Clarion not to be on the good side of things, but for some reason he's teaming with Batman not only in the present time, but also in the future as well. That That's interesting to me. Now, I'm not as familiar with Clarion, the Witch Boy, as other people may be, because he's not really obviously a reoccurring character. What? Stephanie's pretty familiar with him. <laughs> Um, I'm not as familiar with him since he's not a reoccurring character within the Batman universe, so maybe I'm wrong in this, but I'm pretty sure he was on the the bad side of things. So to see him teamed up with Batman in both the present and the future is kind of interesting. I do think it's interesting to see who has survived in this uh, apocalyptic future that uh, the remaining members that are still around are Arthur Curry, who looks really old, uh, clearing the Witch Boy, Jason Blood, who clearly don't age, as well as Tracy 13, which we also know from some solicitations in DC Comics that uh, Tracy 13 will be playing a large role within Flashpoint. I'm not familiar with the character very much, so I don't know anything really about her. It is interesting, though, that uh, you know a lot of things have changed, mostly because of the death of Lois in some regards. And that's how they got to Superman overall. I thought this was a good issue. I know other people are not going to say the same. But I'm enjoying this story arc as far as just being a, a, a decent story that has a story to tell. So, uh, three and a half out of five veterans. A story to tell, but this feels like a story that would have been told in a really, really bad 1990s annual where you would have read it, thought that it sucked, and then forget about it. The whole going to the future, you know, where there's, like, extreme versions of, like, past characters. Like, whoa, look at Arthur Curry. That's not the Arthur Curry from my era. And, like, they're like, oh, the times were so hard. You don't know what happened, Clark. Like, that's type of thing is really, really cliche, especially in time travel stories. But... Those cliches can still work if you do something unique to it and, like, spin it in your own way. They didn't do that here. 
So it was a chore to read. It was unoriginal, and in my opinion, it sucked. So one out of five batterings. <laughs> On the other hand, I thought this was pretty decent. Um, the story's not. I don't want to say winning me over, but it sort of like kind of changed my mind in terms of uh, time traveling stories with these two characters. The one thing I don't care for, I mean, I, I was engaged in the story, but it, again, you know, it's more of a Superman story than a Batman story. Batman's kind of playing catch up, and Superman's like, well, you know, everybody's like, well, they destroyed Lois, Superman. That changed everything. And Superman's like, well, they will pay. Come on, Clark, let's change reality. I'm not saying that's out and out stupid. But again, it, it, it makes Batman Superman psychic because Superman is controlling the show. And this this is just a personal thing. It's, it's not really meant to be taken critically. I, I, I just prefer the type of stories they were doing that one year where they did like, what if Superman lost his powers and Batman gained Superman's powers? Because I like the stories that put the two characters in different situations and have them both react to it differently rather than have Superman go on this wacky adventure and have Batman play catch up. Because they, they do that way too frequently. But we've said that a lot of times on this podcast. But the story for itself, I, I, I find it decent. Yeah, it's it's cliched, but it's not it's not nearly as cliched um, as... The cliches aren't as intense as they could have been in this day and age. So I, I thought this was perfectly decent. I'll give this three out of five better ranks. I've uh, lost my excitement with this arc because I think it's being dragged out a lot more than it needs to be. I mean, although I do think this arc works in Superman, Batman, because for people who do complain about the magical elements, it's it's not a book that everyone reads, so you you can drop it because it's not in continuity as such. So um, it doesn't really matter if you miss out an arc or anything like that. And also, I disagree with Donovan because I think it it levels the characters because. Um, in this reality, it's Batman who knows what he's doing. He's the one who's survived. And with Superman's vulnerability to magic, I think it puts them on a more level playing field, which I think is interesting and what a lot of people want to see in Superman, Batman. At least the Batman fans, anyway. And uh, I think Superman really underreacts to Lois's death. I mean, even if it is like a future version of her, so it's you might not see it as her, but it was kind of, he, he, just, he barely shrugged his shoulders. It was just kind of, oh, oh well, he's dead. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the one in the future went back to try and avenge her death and save the world on his own, but yeah, I, th- I think I'm just getting a little bit bored of this, how much it's being drawn out, but I am interested to see if there's an explanation why Clarion has gone from a witch boy to a warlock. Unless he's just known as that as well, and I don't know enough about the character. But if there's something about that between the two stories, that might be interesting. And I'm still looking forward to seeing how this ends, but partly because I want it to end. But uh, I'll give it a middle of the road, two out of five batterings. Alright, so that's going to give Superman Batman number 83 two out of five battering. So that's all of our reviews. Let's uh, move into Bat Books for Beginners and let's throw over to Nick. Welcome back to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners. My name is Nick and today I'm going to be looking through a book called Gotham Knights. 
This was written by John Ostrander, who's worked on the regular Batman series and worked on the, the Spectre series. The art is by Mary Mitchell, who worked on the Manhunter series and also worked on Gotham Knights 2, which is the sequel to this book. Now, this is a four-issue miniseries that was published in 1992. So it's time to explore a bit of Gotham, get to know a few of its citizens. Let's see what I think. of this book is uh, the people of Gotham City and Batman. How are they going to react? We first see Batman pursue a criminal into the Robinson Central Railway Terminal and six random Gotham citizens are present in the crowd, says a donut seller, an elderly couple, two business people and a former convict. And uh, they all carry on their day after they witness Batman pursue this criminal. Uh, Joel Mayfield, who's one of the elderly couple, learns that he has a terminal illness. Jennifer Lee, the business lady, meets a charming stranger. And Dio, the ex-con, decides to return to a life of crime. Um, Life continues for this ordinary bunch of uh, Gothamites. Um, The businesswoman begins an affair with a writer. Uh, The Mayfields, the elderly couple, wonder how to cope with Joel's terminal illness the donut seller rosemary dreams of marrying batman who she believes is secretly a handsome customer of hers while businessman jimmy is tormented by visions of a woman called angie dio meanwhile narrowly avoids capture when a break-in goes wrong and seems oblivious to the signs of strain in his marriage jennifer eventually uh, realizes that she's appalled with her one night stand and, and has a heart to heart with her acquaintance jimmy who tells her of his wife's death some years ago who was a victim of the joker's poison joel and dio both purchase guns for different reasons and emma mayfield hears that dr leonetti has some good news for her and joel donut seller rosemary flips Determined to get the attention of the customer she believes to be Batman, Frank, she takes a rifle to the top of the building and fires randomly on a crowd below. Uh, Dio, the ex-con, happens to be walking by and returns her fire, and the ricochets from his bullet cause various injuries to a couple of the characters we've been following. The incident draws Jimmy and Jennifer closer together, but luckily nobody is killed. Uh, Rosemary, the crazy donut seller, is apprehended by Batman, who is somewhat confused by her misconception of his identity. And Dio, having broken his parole conditions, is taken away by the police. Later, Bruce Wayne offers the Mayfields, the elderly couple, a community-based job, partly because he remembers their son, a playmate, when he was a child. And they're happy to have been given the job. And that's Gotham Knights. Now, as you might be able to tell from my plot recap there, I thought this book was very messy. It seemed to be absolutely all over the place with these stories. The characters were, again, we we were visiting them for very brief moments, them going to someone else, them spending a page with them, then moving on, moving on. It's very difficult to get to know the characters with such rapid uh, transitions. Um, Perhaps they should have 
narrowed down the amount of characters and perhaps focused on one per issue. That, I think, would have been a better solution. So, because of that, I found it quite dull, I have to say. Um, It's difficult to get to know the characters. Uh, There's so much going on, but it really doesn't feel very relevant or that interesting. Especially the business couple who are friends sharing seats on the train and who seem to have some sort of romance towards the end. There were some really strange things thrown in there. Like, we had a joke about AIDS... Um, maybe that was just uh, a, a 90s thing, I have no idea, but um, it really didn't fit with the book. I thought it was an interesting point where the elderly couple thought that the city of Gotham had gone bad after the Waynes were killed, which I thought was interesting. But, I mean, regarding the characters, I would have liked more from them, but because of the inconsistent jumping around, it was difficult to get to know them very well. Uh, Gotham itself looked interesting, and the, the art... I thought it had a similar vibe to Dave Gibbons' Watchmen style. I thought the colours matched that, and um, I quite I quite appreciated the art. Not fantastic, but an interesting style. There was a point where the elderly couple suggested a double suicide in the book. Um, really weird. They, I mean, these were very strange people to follow. I don't. I can't imagine all people who live in Gotham are like this. But um, so the idea is, you had this bizarre bunch of stories where. On the one hand, you had an ex-con and an elderly couple who want to kill themselves. And on another hand, you have a woman who's worried about her love life. And a nutcase who works in a donut shop. Um, I was hoping for a little more intellectual drama, um, better characters, and that I was completely let down in all departments there. So just a strange bunch of stories that really didn't grab my attention. And the art style, although stylistically interesting didn't think it was fantastic um so all in all I, I wasn't that keen on it at all but i do think this idea had a lot of potential i was looking forward to reading this one but this is a big letdown um i was hoping for something a little bit more like gotham central which has those real realistic characters working in gotham with strange incidents going on around them but they're just trying to deal with it very interesting characters good work there but this was just nothing like that. The citizens were completely bizarre. The, the concepts were terrible. Um, we never got any t- time to spend with them and get to know them. It was very disappointing. And um, so even though I thought this idea had a lot of potential, this book really didn't work at all for me. So I'm going to give it one out of five batarangs. Don't bother. <laughs> That was Gotham Knights. Um, as you can tell, I wasn't that keen on it. Uh, I'm not particularly looking forward to reviewing Gotham Knights 2. I can't believe this had a sequel, but apparently it did, so that will probably come up at some point. But uh, next time I'll be looking at Penguin Triumphant. And the Penguin, Oswald Cobblepot, decides to become a legitimate businessman, albeit a crooked one. He establishes contact with a former schoolyard bully who is now successful in business and works out a deal with him. Uh, with Randy Holmes acting as Penguin's middleman, and Penguin uses his intelligence to manipulate the stock market and rake in the profits. I'm sure Batman will have something to say about that. I'll be putting up the new reading list on the forums very soon, as I believe I've got to the end of the current one, so I'll put up the next eight or ten books that I'm doing. So do please head over to the forums, check that out, and um, keep up with me. or get a bit further ahead, just so you know where 
which books I'm reviewing in the future. So that's BBFB for this time. I'll be sending you back to Dustin and the guys, but I'll just leave you with a nice reminder of what R. Kelly thinks Gotham City should be like. See you next time, guys. Alright, so that was Bat Book for Beginners. Let's uh, find out what Bat Book delays have been occurring, Joe. Bat Book delays. Batman the Dynamite issue 3 was pushed back a whole month to the 25th of May. And um, so it looks like June is going to be pinch free before we get to the Dark Knight issue 4 on the 27th of July. Although, interestingly, the same date of release for issue 5. So apparently we're going to have two issues on the same day as if DC thinks we're going to go oh well, we've got massive rates but at least we get two issues on one day that's going to make up for it but it looks <laughs> like The Dark Knight is going to be a bi-monthly book alright so that is everything for Bat Book Delays clearly not that much going on but in general there's not that much going on with the books so let's get into what we'll be covering next time on the podcast we will be covering Batman Incorporated number 5, Detective Comics number 876, and Batman Beyond number 5. So only three books next episode, so that'll be a much quicker episode. We might actually come in under an hour. Unless, of course, you have a discussion you'd like us to talk about. God knows we rant about plenty of different things, and if you want to hear us rant about a specific topic or something that you want to hear our opinions on, be sure to email us. We have roughly... A week and a half to get us your email before we record the next podcast. Or you can leave comments on the forums, of course, as well. If you are to email us, that email address is podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. And uh, that's pretty much everything for this episode. So you can follow all the daily news on the website. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join the other 600-plus Twitter followers. That's uh, kind of the leader right now as far as uh, the main social network that uh, the Batman Universe is on and has a bunch of followers. Uh, In addition to that, you can always join the forums. If you do join the forums and you do not have your account activated within one day, email us and let us know that your account needs to be activated because there are close to a thousand entries a month that come in that are all spam. And we have to sift through those, and sometimes we don't always see it. So because it's the end of April, uh, we will be sifting through the April ones. So if your account still hasn't been activated and you haven't emailed us, be sure to email us, otherwise that account will be deleted. So with that, that's pretty much everything. Although I do want to bring up, if you are listening to this podcast, you are one of the select few lucky guys out there who have figured out a way to listen to the podcast since the feed is currently down on iTunes and on the website. So hopefully, if you are listening to this, I want to tell you that uh, very shortly we will be fixing this situation that we've been having and uh, we'll have a definitive, solid 
fix that will last for a long time instead of a quick fix that doesn't end up working. But uh, hopefully everyone out there is still listening to the comic podcast. That's always a good thing. So that's everything. This is Dustin. You got Josh. This is Donovan. And this has been Joe. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. See you guys next time. Get in the shower. Choose your dates better. Blah. I learned in the ancient days this thing. What is that? Oh, it wasn't me. Okay. 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 Sounds like Josh is getting scolded. <laughs> no. Okay. Alright, Mike, I, I gotta finish this thing up. Go take your shower. <laughs> Yes, yes, Mike. Go take your shower. (laughs) Perfect blooper there. Yeah. Okay. He's in the shower. He's 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 gonna he's he's gonna come out to tell me like six different things, but uh, I'll feel better when I hear the water running. Then I know that he's not gonna come out six times. He's in Dr. Hurt's deprivation chamber. He's been there since, like, this this Silver Age. Nightfall never happened. <laughs> the death of the family never happened. Like, <laughs> that would, oh, that would suck. So bad. Th- th- never mind the ramifications on, like, the rest of the DCU. Like, he goes home and, like, Aunt Harriet's waiting there, like, to make him pee. <laughs> Dick Grayson's studying for, like, his final exam. And, like, Alfred's like, Master Bruce, you've made a date with Linda Page and Kathy Kane on the same night. What are you going to do? <laughs> Continue to Batman number 64. <laughs> okay, well, I couldn't remember who we talked about that with, but it would be interesting because he mentions the Damien thing and the fact that, you know, that hasn't played into it. just made me think of that when I, when I saw this, this interview. I was like, huh, interesting. Very interesting. Anyway...